Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. You were on his mind when he went to the cross. God in all of his power and all of his glory and all of his um, blessings. He knew you before you were born. He knew you when he went to Calvary. You were on his mind. I, I love that song. Above all, he thought of me. We're talking about um, spiritual success, growing spiritually. We're looking at uh, the two letters that Paul wrote to Timothy. And he just gave him some different suggestions, commandments, whatever you want to call them. He just gave him some different measures and ways that you can know whether or not you're succeeding spiritually or not. As he was writing these letters to, to Timothy, Timmy, Timothy was a young pastor at the church in Ephesus. And uh, he wrote those letters to, to help Timothy, number one, know how to grow himself, and number two, how to help those in his congregation to grow and have spiritual success. This morning, I, I want to read two passages, one out of 1 Timothy and one out of 2 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning with verse 11. But you, man of God, flee from all of this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And the sight of God who gives life to everything and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you, keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then in the second letter that he wrote, beginning in verse 20, I mean chapter 2, verse 20, we read this one a, a couple of weeks ago when we were uh, looking at the... the uh, measure of success but he says in a large house there are articles not only of gold and silver but also of wood and clay some are for noble purposes and some for ennoble if a man cleanses himself from the latter he will be an instrument for noble purpose made holy useful to the master and prepared to do any good work flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments, because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, and not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct, in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. 
Father, I ask you to add your blessing to the reading of your word. Father, help us to understand purity and how we might be pure. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Today's title, by the way, is Keep Yourself Poor. Pure. P-U-R-E. Keep yourself pure. Uh, the world works to keep us poor. But this we're going to work to talk about keeping pure. Tom Brokaw, the newscaster, wrote a book several years ago, 20 years ago or so now, I think, called The Greatest Generation. I don't know if you've read that book. You've probably heard of it. But he wrote it about the World War II generation and the things that they went through in, in that generation, the, the Depression, uh, then the war, and then uh, the reconstruction after, after the war. And, and he just called them the, the greatest generation because of what they experienced and the things that they did and the way that they uh, survived that and gave us the, the culture, the economy that, that we have today. And, you know, we live in a world that has changed. It's different than that generation. Uh, my grandparents, both of them who died right around the year 2000, they were born, my grandfather was born two years before the 20th century. He was born in 1898. My grandmother was born in 1900. And in those hundred years that they lived, they both lived 99 years, and in those 99 years that they lived, they saw more changes than somebody would have seen if they had been born in the year Jesus died and died the year they were born. I mean, it's just absolutely incredible the changes that they went through. Uh, they went to New Mexico, they moved to New Mexico in a covered wagon. Y'all remember? You, you remember when you came in a covered wagon, right? <laughs> no, you don't? You know, they, and, and just, just think of what they said. They, they lived through the Depression. They lived through the wars. They actually lived through both world wars, World War I and World War II. My grandfather uh, ran a, a, a cafe and a boarding house uh, during World War II. Uh, but uh, you know they, they were alive when Orber, or Orville and Wilbur made their first flight you know they, they saw the, the beginning of, of airlines of uh, you know trains were almost brand new when they were born you know and then they saw the, the uh, coming of the space flights and, and they, they were eyewitnesses of so many miraculous things. You know, the, the car was just getting started when, when they were born. You know, and, uh, you know, and then they had vehicles all the way up. I can remember as a kid sitting glued to a black and white television set Amen. watching the uh, newscasters tell us about the three orbits around the earth that John Glenn made. You know, we didn't see this, we didn't see the space capsule. We didn't see the space shots. We didn't see the shot into space. We sat there and watched this talking head 
with a map behind him and the orbits. And just, he just kept pointing out where John Glenn was in the process of his orbit. You know, and then we, you know, we were fascinated every time somebody went into space. And I will bet lunch right now, if I was a betting man, that there's not a single person in here who can tell me how many people are in space right now. Anybody know? See? <laughs> no Googling allowed. <laughs> huh? You guess five? So you don't know, but you guess five. Guess three. Anybody else want to guess? The answer is six. Okay. The answer is six. There's three Americans, two Russians, and one German in, uh, in space right now. So it, it's, so, it's such old hat, we don't even pay attention to it anymore. But, uh, you know, what, a 13-year-old boy watched black and white talking heads as the first people went into space. You know, it's, it's an incredible, incredible difference. We, we live in a uh, different day. And in a lot of ways, it, it's a great thing. In other ways, it's probably not so good. Because I think that in a lot of ways, we have succumbed to what Paul told Timothy in that first chapter, in that first verse that I read. He called it the trap of the devil. He says, don't get caught in the trap of the devil. You know, there was, you remember the old cartoon, Calvin and Hobbes? How, how many of you remember that? I love it. As a matter of fact, I still read it every day. Um, and, and, and I just love it. And one came, on the, came up the other day that reminded me, you know, Calvin was a six-year-old boy who had a tremendous imagination. And one of the things that he imagined was that his tiger, his stuffed tiger, came to life. And anytime there weren't any adults or anybody else around, even, even with, uh, when Susie was around, uh, tiger, Tigger, Tiger, Calvin, Hobbes, what, Hobbes, was just a, a tiger, was just a stuffed tiger. But the rest of the time, he was alive and around, and he led Calvin into all kinds of trouble, or vice versa, whichever. But one of the things about Calvin, uh, about Hobbes, is that he was a sucker for a tuna sandwich. Anybody, anybody remember that? The one that, it was one of the ones, I think it was the week before last, that they, they published one each day. Uh, uh, Calvin comes in and he, he says to his dad, so long, Dad, I'm off to check my tiger trap. And uh, he says, I rigged a tuna, fa tuna fish sandwich yesterday, so I'm sure to have a tiger by now. His dad's busy, you know, doing whatever he's doing, doesn't pay a lot of attention, says, they like tuna fish, huh? And uh, Calvin says, tigers will do anything for a tuna fish sandwich. And in the last frame, Hobbes is hanging from a tree, his foot's in a rope, he's upside down, and he's got a tuna sandwich in his, in his hand, and he says, we're kind of stupid that way. <laughs> Paul says that Satan sets traps for us. 
and we fall into those traps. And if we're going to grow spiritually, we have to learn how to avoid those traps, how to avoid the traps of Satan. And, and when, when I'm talking about this now, you know, I'm not talking about non-believers, okay? Non-believers, Satan doesn't have to set traps for them. They're already trapped. I'm talking about Christians. I'm talking about you and me, the traps that he sets to catch us and to, and to mess with our lives and to keep us from spiritual success, which is why Paul is writing this to Timothy. Timothy, avoid these things. And so he's, he's talking to us as Christians. And, and these are things that uh, Christians have been trapped with. We've been deceived. You know, I read a, uh, let's see if I can find that right quick. I, I read a thing the other day about um, Christians. One of my uh, former church members posted it. And it says this, it says, when I say that I'm a Christian, I am not shouting that I am clean living. I'm whispering. I was lost, but now I'm found. I am forgiven. When I say I'm a Christian, I don't speak of this with pride. I'm confessing that I stumble and I need Christ to be my guide. When I say I'm a Christian, I'm not trying to be strong. I'm professing that I'm weak and I need his strength to carry on. When I say I'm a Christian, I'm not bragging of success. I'm admitting I have failed and need God to clean my mess. You realize I didn't realize that rhymed until I read it out loud to you guys? <laughs> when I was just reading it, I didn't realize it all rhymed. How cool is that? When I say I'm a Christian, I'm not claiming to be perfect. My flaws are too far visible, but God believes I'm worth it. When I say I'm a Christian, I still feel the sting of pain. I have my share of heartaches, so I call upon his name. When I say I'm a Christian, I'm not holier than thou. I'm just a simple sinner who received God's good grace somehow. You know, and so as, as we talk about these traps, you just need to, to realize that there's a lot of truth in that in that little poem. You know, we're not we're, we're not Christians because we are super successful folks. We're Christians because we depend on a super successful God and a super successful Savior. Jesus said, I am the truth. I am the truth, he said. You know, and the psalmist said, Psalm 119, 160 says, The sum of your word, the total of your word, is truth. And to avoid the traps of Satan, we need to be sold on God's truth. We need to believe God's truth. What God says is true. Like Martin Luther, we need to be able to think, My conscience has been taken captive by the word of God. And to go against my conscience or against Scripture is neither right nor safe. And, and in a lot of ways, we believe things that are contrary to the Word of God. 
and we believe them because we want to believe them. Because it's maybe not popular to not believe them. This just give you an example. There are a lot of Christians today who believe that there is a Christian way to truth. There's a Christian way to heaven. And there's a Buddhist way to heaven. And there's an Islamic way to heaven. Or, or even worse than that, there's some who believe there's a Baptist way to heaven and a Methodist way to heaven and a Catholic way to heaven. You know, but none of those are true. None of them. There is one way to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the way to heaven. I am the truth. Jesus said, Peter said in his message, one of the first ones he ever preached, he says, there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. You say, okay, Pastor, but what difference does that make? Well, here's the difference that it makes. If we don't believe people need Jesus, we're not very evangelistic. If we don't believe a world needs Jesus, we're not very mission-minded, mission-oriented. You know, because, because God has told us to go into all the world and make disciples of all the people. Why? Because Jesus says, I am the way. There is no other way under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And, and Christians and churches and believers have, have, have fallen into the trap of, of Satan that says, well, you, know, you don't have to believe God's truth. You don't have to believe what God says. Let me give you a, a, another example. <clears throat> Back in the late 1960s, a renowned American psychiatrist. Not, um, I don't know that he was a Christian. It was not a Christian book that he wrote. Um, he, was, uh, he was the founder, with other members of his family, of a psych psychological clinic called the Menninger Clinic. You, you may have heard of that. His name was Carl Menninger. Uh, and the title of the last book that he wrote, now this is a, a, a psychologist dealing with people every day, all the day, not from a Christian viewpoint. He, the, the title of the last book that he wrote was Whatever Became of Sin? How is it that we have redefined everything so that sin isn't a word anymore? Um, and, and of course the answer that he gives in the book is, you know, sin didn't go anywhere, we just redefined it. We just changed the things that we call it. Activities that were once looked on as sinful are now thought of as normal. And Minninger wasn't a theologian or a pastor. He was a psychiatrist who was trying to help people understand how we got to this place. But folks, here's what happens. When we move, remove sin from our category, when we refuse to call things sin that God calls sin, you know, we can fall for anything. We can do whatever we want. There's no authority anywhere that can tell us what to do and what is sin. And, and that's one of Satan's traps. That's one of the ways that he catches us. Another one is, Nathan and I were talking about this yesterday. We went down to Farmington right quick. We were, we were talking about the casinos. Um, 
were those in Mississippi? Louisiana. 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 You know, of course, we live by Salt, by in Salt Lake City, right next to to Las Vegas. Actually, one time we lived in Cedar City, just across the border from from Las Vegas. We saw all the gambling and the stuff going on. Um, but but one of the ways that that we cu- we get caught is believing that we can have something for nothing. That it's possible to get something for nothing. How many of you get Nigerian letters, you know, in your email? Uh, if you don't get them, it's because you have a good spam blocker, you know. Uh, but because 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 they come, uh, the lottery, in, instant money, you know, you you see you see them everywhere. You can get rich too. Um, people believe that you can have something for nothing, and as we give into this trap. We give up the things that are good all because we thought we would like to get something that's better, something that's free. Secretary General of the UN said this, you cannot play with the animal in you without becoming an animal. You cannot play with lies without forfeiting your right to the truth. You cannot play with cruelty without losing your sensitivity of mind. If you want to keep your garden tidy, you don't reserve a plot for weeds. You know, he was, you know, he wasn't a Christian. He was just telling us, you know, if, if, if you want to, to be pure, if you want to be holy, if you want to be right, you, you, you've got to keep a, an idea of what's good, what's bad, what's right, what's truth, what's falsehood. Second Timothy chapter three. I didn't read this a while ago, but uh, here's another paragraph that uh, Paul wrote. He says, "But mark this: there will be terrible times in the last days." And see what this describes: people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. Now, guys, you know, you read that a lot and you think, well, yeah, that describes the world. Folks, no, it describes the church. It describes us. If we're not careful, if we don't remember to stand for truth, Jesus is the truth, then, then, this, then this describes us. And just because we're Christians doesn't mean we can be boastful and proud and abusive and disobedient. It means we should be the opposite of all those things. So Paul talks about the pursuit of God. Spiritual growth requires that we be different. In 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 11, 
This is the verse that I begin with this morning. He says, but this, but you, man of God, I would say that that man of God, of course, he's talking specifically to Timothy, but, but we, we could say, but you, woman of God, or person of God, flee from all of this. Flee from all of this stuff. And pursue instead righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. I love that. You know, if, if we could just remember, if I could just remember that. You know, to, to this, this is the pursuit of God. This is what Timothy tells, this is what Paul tells Timothy to pursue. Righteousness and godliness. Righteousness and godliness are our conduct before God and before others. Pastor Ed Dobson uh, made a commitment to holiness, and in a Sunday morning sermon, he stood before his congregation and said, I wrote a letter to God and sealed it and put it in my desk. And it, this is what it said. He said, Lord, if I ever might be unfaithful to my wife and bring disgrace to your name. Take my life before I sin. And I meant it. That's a commitment to purity. That's a commitment to righteousness and godliness. And I want to be a godly person. Paul says to Timothy, want to be godly, want to be righteous. And then he says, pursue faith and love. Faith is our attitude toward God. We trust God. We believe God. Our attitude towards God is a, an attitude of faith. Love is our attitude and behavior towards one another. Treat everybody with love. And you know that's easier to say than it is to do. But yet that's what, that's what he says we want to do. If we, if we want to grow spiritually, if we want to have spiritual success, we want to pursue faith towards God and love towards one another. And then he says, and pursue patience and gentleness. And, and what those two words, are, I think, signify is how are we going to treat the difficult people in our life, the different people than we are? Well, two things. Patience and gentleness. And I gotta tell you, that doesn't describe me too well yet. I get impatient and I'm not always gentle. But to grow spiritually and become what God wants us to be, that's the direction we need to be pursuing. He says this. Listen to what he says. The Lord's servant, talking to Timothy again, and um, he's talking to Timothy as being the pastor. So he's talking to me here. But I think your servants too. You know, it, it, you, you could... You could, uh, 
you can take a dose of this. He says, the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach and not resentful. And those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth and that they will commit that they will come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. That's how we ought to respond. And then I think he says there has to be a commitment. Same kind of commitment as, um, as the pastor made. Pastor Dobson made a commitment to purity, a commitment to holiness. We, we need to pursue these things with the earnestness of a disciple. And in uh, that first passage that I read, that first sentence, the one we just talked about, where you pursue uh, righteousness and godliness and faith and love and, and gentleness and patience, Here's how he says you do that. He uses three words there. Flee, pursue, fight. That's the commitment to being that kind of a person. We flee the wrong side. We pursue the righteousness and we fight for it. We fight for it. And he's not talking about fighting other people. He's talking about fighting in yourself for what's right. And then there's a reason that you do this. And here's the reason. Because when it all comes down, you want to be a person who is useful to God. That's what he says. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for noble purposes and some for innoble purposes. But if a man cleanses himself, in other words, it doesn't make any difference if you're a gold or a silver or a wood or a clay article. If you're clean, if you're pure, if you'll cleanse yourself, you will be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy, useful to the master and prepared to do any good work. So what he's saying is you don't have to think of yourself as a gold person. You can be a clay person. But if you're clean, if you're pure, if you're righteous, God will use you for mighty things. <coughs> But you have to have a commitment to it. There has to be a real desire to be useful to God. I was reading about Tyrone Poole. Tyrone Poole was an NFL football player. He was on an NFL team. And he discovered that the desire to play football no longer burned in his heart. And so he just decided to quit. 
he called his head coach and said, Coach, I'm quitting. I don't have a passion, a desire to play anymore. I'm going home. When they asked the coach about it, the coach said this. That was a really wise move on his part. To play pro football, you have to really be into it. There's a lot of work that goes into it and into preparation. And once your heart is not into it and your concentration isn't there, it's really hard to play at this level. He just didn't think his mind was where it should be, and he decided to give it up. Folks, I'm not saying that we ought to give it up, but I'm saying that our desire needs to be at the level to be a disciple. If it's not our desire to be a disciple, then all the other keys to spiritual success don't really matter if, if you don't want it, if you don't desire it as the deer pants for water. So my soul longs after thee. If that's not the pan of your heart, success won't be yours. Let me tell you one last story. I want to lighten it up just a little bit, okay? Ruben Kozada was leaving the grocery store. And a couple of school kids were participating in a fundraiser for the school band. And they asked him if, they, if he would buy a candy bar from them. Reuben said, well, sure. But like a lot of us, he doesn't need another candy bar. He says, under one condition, though, you'll have to eat it for me. And so Reuben gave the boy the money, and the boy gave him the candy bar. And Reuben handed the candy bar back to him. And the little boy said, I can't take it. And Reuben says, why not? That was, our, that was our deal. And the little boy said, because my mom told me never to take candy from strangers. <laughs> Folks, that describes obedience. That describes obedience. And that's what God calls us to, to be obedient to him and his word. We're going to sing as we close this morning. We're going to sing the above all song again, go through it again. And uh, unless you think that it doesn't happen to you, the chief mark of counterfeit holiness, okay? The chief mark of counterfeit holiness is the lack of humility. Every seeker after holiness needs to be on his guard lest unconsciously what was begun in the spirit be perfected in the flesh and pride creep in where presence is least expected. Andrew Murray said that years and years and years ago, but it's still true. We have to realize we don't have it made yet. We're still struggling to be what God calls us to be. Spiritual growth key number seven. 
Avoid the moral snares set by the devil and keep yourself pure above all. Let's sing.